Welcome to Progressive Mindset Podcast. My name is Natalie Potts, business coach and mentor, and each week I'll bring you an inspiring personal message to help you unlock creating a living life full of energy, action, impact and happiness. And today I am so excited and delighted to be welcoming on Jeff Way, an author, facilitator and coach who is sharing a recent release of his new book, Stuck, Now What?, We discuss how you can reignite your career when it feels flat. So as always, over to Jeff to introduce himself. Well, first of all, thank you very much indeed, Natalie, for inviting me along and also giving me the opportunity to send you a copy of my book, which was published at the end of February this year. It's called Stuck Now What? In terms of myself, I am a coach a facilitator really somebody that helps people and that's the space that I've been in and around for nearly 20 years now uh, and I got my first taste of it back in the corporate space in m and money mm-hmm. um, back in back in kind of 2002 2003 and I had a sales job at the time I didn't p- particularly enjoy it and then I got approached at a photocopier and asked if I'd like to move into training. And the rest, as they say, is, is history. I've been, I've been working with people, I've been helping people ever since. And it is a passion of mine and I, I take great joy from seeing other people achieve things in their lives that they perhaps didn't think was possible mm. at one point. Um, and, you know, in terms of the type of work that I do, I work with organizations predominantly designing and delivering leadership management training uh, yeah. of which there's some coaching that sits alongside a lot of those programs mm. um, which is great to see because I think it wasn't that long ago where there would be lots of those type of development programs but organizations didn't buy into coaching alongside it and it's such an important skill mm. because not only is it about helping people but it's about listening and asking questions and and challenging in a way that, you know, sometimes, um, you know, can get better results than, than the traditional leadership or management approach. So, yeah, it's a wonderful space that I feel privileged to operate in. Um, and, you know, it's delighted to be able to come along and share some of that with you and also some of that with your listeners today. So thanks again for inviting me along. No, you're welcome. Thank you. So I, I guess, yeah, you've kind of shared a bit about how you got into the coaching side and that facilitation, the leadership as well. So a, a great array of areas. And definitely, I know I add value for sure when you're talking about working in teams as well. Um, and I think people underestimate leadership in terms of that they think that's got to be big businesses and things. And actually, I, I look at leadership like, well, if you have your own business or whatever, you've got to show up every day as a leader with those qualities, that perspective, that drive, ambition, everything. You're absolutely right. I think there's almost a myth that says leadership is about um, hierarchy within organisation. Mm. Um, and it's about, you know, having somebody to lead. Um, I have a similar view to you. And some of that view came to me through some of the work that Robin Sharma mm-hmm. uh, did and, and wrote about in his book, uh, the, the leader with no title, I think. Um, and he talked about everyday people who showed up every day and demonstrated those leadership qualities mm. like self-discipline, like focus, like 
determination, um, like a positive mindset or a positive attitude or a growth mindset as we hear it nowadays. Each and every one of us has the ability to lead ourselves and therefore lead others. It's not always about leading others. It's about demonstrating those skills and those traits that we associate with what leadership is. Mm. It's really interesting. I was listening to a podcast this week with, uh, I think I pronounced his name correctly, Simon Sinek, who's obviously about like start with why. And it was wonderful. And he was sharing exactly that around businesses that will not invest in leadership programs and developing their people. And he kind of, you know, it was a bit of the attitude. They say, well, I can't afford it. And it's like, because they haven't got a budget for it. Well, that's the last thing they'd have a budget for. But actually, it's like it's a little bit like I have an outlook of well-being that it's something you can't afford not to do. And you should have that because you then gave the example of two different workplaces. And it made me laugh, actually, that people working in one where the offices were horrible and old, but the team absolutely were engrossed and loved what they did and who they worked with in the, the culture, the way they do things, versus somebody in a, a flashy, lovely office where actually it's very, you know, process and structured and, and actually people didn't get on the same. And, and the businesses didn't, you know, that business didn't do as well and that business flourished and now they're in nicer offices. But he goes, it's not about that side of things. You've got to look at it differently. And I think, you know, he was challenging that some leaders will throw back at him or you're wrong in the way you approach things you don't know business etc and like like you said in your book actually at one point it's quite intimidating when you're up against people like that at moments for sure and like you mentioned that hierarchy you put them on a pedestal etc above you but reality is they're no different from us they're no different from us in terms of what they're going through they've been through what they think and feel and I say that to people sometimes when they talk about fear and things like that because I said that they think it's actually the same as you. We're all feeling the same things or we've been through the same things. So it doesn't make anybody better than anybody else. That's just their ego. It, it is. And, um, you know, Simon Sinek is a, is a great um, guru and leader of thinking differently. And, and that's what we need, mm. you know, in, in across organisations at every level. Yeah. Um, the landscape has changed now and people don't just go to work to work they mm-hmm. go to work for a whole host of reasons and this is why some people have struggled during the pandemic is because they haven't been able to go to that natural environment yeah. where they can connect with other humans and feel part of a team which is important to some people feel connected to the work that they're doing or the output that it leads to and I think it's all too easy to dismiss these ideas and suggestions and to look for for holes in, you know, the the people that are suggesting it. But for me, it all comes down to people Mm. and knowing your people. And when I go into organisations, the the one thing that I encourage all of them to do is just to have more conversations with their people. And, you know, it's not a, a magic medicine um, it's not something that, you know, is brand new and, and it's kind of, you know, life changing. Just not having a conversation with your people, because if you understand what's going on in the world of your people, mm. that's where you can help them. But I think historically we, we haven't allowed ourselves to have that time or we haven't felt equipped to have those conversations. And I know when I speak to some leaders about coaching, they will say, well, 
I don't, I don't really want people showing emotion because I don't know how to deal with emotion. Okay, yeah. that's cool. We can do something with that. Or they'll say to me, well, what if people start going off on a tangent and talking about their personal life and some deeply traumatic stuff? I said, that's okay. We can work with that as well. You know, as a, as a leader, as a fellow human being, you're not expected to have all the answers. Mm. But if you are prepared to listen and understand, and rather than jump in and think that we have to provide solutions, just replay that information or make suggestions or, you know, look at guidance. Then actually you don't have to do anything different other than what you've already done, but you're having a conversation. And for me, every conversation throws up something yeah. that you weren't expecting. And I think the wonderful thing about this period of time that we've been through, and I know Lots of people have struggled in lots of ways. And in fact, all of us have struggled in some way. But we've been invited into people's homes. And I can see into your home and you can see into my home. And I've cleared it a little bit. There's normally lots more pictures. <laughs> but, but it's a talking point. Whatever is behind you is a talking point. And you've got a choice. You can either ask about it and be curious as a fellow human being, or you could ignore it and be completely deadpan and yeah. keep it transactional. And I, I don't think we want those transactional conversations anymore. We want human to human conversations. Mm. Mm. It's interesting, actually. It made me just think about, we'll come on to the book in a minute, actually, but where we, in especially corporates and businesses, that we put people in roles that either they're not ready for, they've just been quick or tick the task box. And then, they, and then we wonder why they struggle. And then we have, and then we feel as, uh, you know, as leaders as well, we feel then bad for to manage performance, et cetera. But actually the managing of performance is, is, is not a punitive. It's a, it's a corrective and it's to sometimes empower people and, and for them to go through an experience to make them better. It's not just about like people look at, oh, I'm going to get the sack or, oh, right, you're going to manage me out and things. But there has to be a reality of understanding where you're at and that you probably, you might have got somewhere maybe a little bit too soon. It's like we spoke about before, just enjoying more the process, have a vision, but enjoy the process and be patient with it and learn and have a different, like you say, change your perspective on things, be open to things, get in discussions. The process we're often very quick to want to get through, but actually... The process is where the learning takes place. Mm. Um, and without that learning, as you've rightly said, lots of us, and I've been in that space in, in my career, you arrive at the destination, you arrive yeah. in that position, yeah. and you're not as well equipped as you could be. And you struggle. Um, and again, that, that, that's part of it. You're, you're expected to struggle. But then it's who do we turn to? And actually, how does the business respond to us? Mm. And... You know, I think some of the challenge in organizations is, is not so much around the language that we use, but actually the meaning that we place behind that language. Because when we get into the semantics of talking about performance management or HR or feedback, most of the time, people's perception and experience of those three things is a negative one. So if I'm a brand new manager and I'm struggling, and somebody invites me along for a performance management conversation, or somebody says to me, I've got some feedback for you, or somebody says, um, we're going to have a chat with HR. Nine times out of 10, the brain is thinking, oh my goodness, this is terrible. Yeah. But actually, you know, it's not nine yeah. times out of 10 terrible. 
but it's it's a challenge not so much around the language but the meaning that we attach to them and how we can help people because that process going back to your point is so important and as much as we want to rush to that next point actually if we do take our time and we have enough support and we do get a bit of development along the way then we'll arrive at whatever that destination is in a better place and still feel energized and good about the job that we do rather than going home and doubting ourselves mm-hmm. you know feeling that we're not very good or we should have stayed where we were or actually you can't do it, or whatever else goes through people's minds mm-hmm. i think you make a really good point there yeah and i guess a uh, challenge is though that we've never arrived have we we think it but then it's the next part so actually the reality is going back to the point of the process and that learning and having that perspective and that being forever there and evolving is that that would work for me and resonate more as a way to look at things because otherwise you, you can lead to disappointment as well can't you and it often does because we arrive at that fixed destination in our mind and a lot of the time we arrive in a not good position um, because it's taken a lot of energy and it's taken a lot of time. We've had to draw on all our resources. So we don't arrive in the best state. Mm. Um, and then we don't stop and enjoy it or reflect on it or take stock. Mm. It's about the next thing. And I think this is inherent within our society and especially within organisations. It's always about the next thing. Yeah. You know, For me, I, I, I know it's a cliche, but I prefer to focus on the journey the process Mm. because that's where the learning is that's where the enjoyment is if you can get your head around it and you become less fixated with the destination and should you arrive at a point you know that you had in your mind then great but but it's not the be all and end all because of everything you've experienced along the way Mm. moving on to that then i guess your journey so here is your amazing book. So stuck now what? What was the what was that moment where you was like, I'm gonna write a book? Because I often think it myself and then I plant some seeds and I'll, you know, bring up my laptop and just write a few ideas and then I'll just park that and move on. And I guess it's always there and I was an idea, but it's it's really I think it's very inspirational to see someone do this and and add value. And it, there is, I guess what I loved about it is it's very practical and I like that. You know, and it's I'm very step by step on things because that's how it works for me. So how did you come to write your book? Well, well, there was lots of moments, you know, I'd be lying if I said there was one moment where I woke up one morning and thought, right, I want to write a book. Mm. Um, I've been on a journey, my own journey of self-discovery back in 2008, 2009. I talk about this in the book. And it was a key moment in my life because there was lots of stuff, lots of baggage, lots of things that were holding me back. And at the end of um, one particular course that I was on, one programme, we had a, a kind of a finishing party, but it was a back to the future party. And you had to come as yourself in seven years time, I think it was. Um, and I've not been known for my creativity in the past. So and I was, I was up in Glasgow, so I wasn't close to home. So I thought, I want to come as an author. And I went to um, a bookshop, a secondhand bookshop, and I got a couple of secondhand books. Um, I managed to get some paper from the hotel that I was staying in. And I created two front covers for two books. 
I was dressed exactly the same as I had been in the day, but I turned back up at this party with two books that I'd scribbled on as an author in seven years' time. Now, I didn't know at that time I was going to write a book. I wanted to write a book. Yeah. Um, and I didn't really revisit that until probably 2016, 2017, where I'd gone down a rabbit hole with work-life balance. Mm. And I thought, hang on a minute, this this is maybe something that is not achievable and therefore not helpful for people to look at, you know, the world through the lens of, you know, you should be balancing your work and your life and listening to some of the things people were saying, you work too much, you know, you need to relax more and what I was thinking. Yeah. This isn't particularly helpful. So I went down that rabbit hole and I ended up spending some time with a publisher at the time. I uh, went through a process of writing a book proposal, went on a boot camp, took myself away to North Wales. I started writing, thought I'd written half the book and then I put it to one side and didn't do anything with it. Um, and then every now and again, like you just said there about yeah. yourself, I would write some more stuff down and I think, oh, I'm making progress, I'm making progress. And then work had come along or life or yeah. all the other things. And, and it wasn't really happening. And I suppose the defining moment mm. was I went on a pig wrestling course. Um, and it's not, as you would perceive, wrestling actual pigs. Uh, it's a problem-solving course. Right. And it's a really good course, actually, run by um, a couple of psychologists, um, who've worked with different sporting teams. And what it does is it allows you to clean up your problem. So my problem that I took was a book writing problem. Yeah. And actually when I got into it, I realized it wasn't a book writing problem because I'd written half the book and actually in my head, I'd written it many times over. It was a book finishing problem. And then after I was there two days, after a while I thought, it's not a book finishing problem. It's a saying no problem. Right. of the requests and then there's a whole host of things I had about 20 yeah. problems that this could have been but I worked through them and actually the first thing I did when I came back from that course that was September 2019 first thing I did is I was cleared my diary I went out to a lot of the clients that I was doing work for and I said look I can't do any more work in the new year because I'm going to write I didn't know how I was going to do this by the way but right. I just set my intention and I, I was yeah. doing some work with some some other fabulous training providers and I said look I can't take any more work on in January because mm -hmm. I'm going to write mm. and that's what happened that was January 2020 so that was January last year I still didn't know how I was going to do this I just set my intention and then as the universe does yeah and I'm a big believer in the law of attraction yeah um a guy came into my life called Ali from Known Publishing who are my publishers and I had a conversation with him and then I had another conversation with him and his sister Leila and then on March the 16th in 2020 I traveled down to London and I was due to go to Winchester afterwards mm. to do some client work for the next couple of days but I uh, got the train down to London I spent four and a half hours in their office and within that time they created a structure from our book um, and instead of going to Winchester uh, lockdown was announced mm -hmm. we got straight back on the train came home um, and set about writing so there was lots of moments there yeah. where I kind of wanted to had a go put it down 
wanted to have a go and put it down and then it all just happened last year it's that's so amazing because it's it's like I've only recently discovered myself and this is where I'm, we talk about this process of learning is absolutely key and you know and I've, I've loved reading for years used to hate it as a kid loved it and I think that that's the point I'm making here is that it's not just suddenly you're going to start reading and it just happens. I'm, I've just noticed this the last few months that it isn't one moment. It's a bit, I guess, actually, I've, so I have therapy on and off and I'm really open about that because it really helps me. And I'll notice when I'll get into a, like you say, a moment of I'm doing tunnel vision, I can't see around and I call it the, the fog. And I, so I'll know that therapy might actually a session with someone that is my therapist. It really helps me really helps me focus but that's made me realize the fact that I do that over a period of the last few years now is that it isn't one moment it's never going to be one moment it's it is an array of lots of different experiences and it's about me having a better and heightened awareness of those moments and the ones which really matter to be the kind of almost the stepping stones to the ah uh, the aha moment and I do think you get those aha moments and the light bulb moments but it's not just on one factor it's on lots of different things and I think again people are searching all the time for that whereas actually like you said this is this is part of the journey isn't it your book and then what that goes to and then the connections that you make and that's a bit like um, networking I love networking but again, it's got to be both ways and there has to be a real, you know, it's not just jumping on every Facebook group for the sake of it or, you know, it's not just, it's more than that. It's like you say, getting into that conversation, that richness, authentic conversation where it works both ways, I think. That's the real difference. And that's where you get that, I love, I love this word richness, but that's when you get the ideas, uh, the creativity almost as well, for sure. Absolutely. That, that book would not exist if I hadn't met all the people that I'd met yeah. in that time. Yeah. Um, and yes, some of them arrived as, as mentors and guides. Um, others arrived at different points, but with something that was able to help me. And I think that's also the realisation. Not only do we tend to have a, this is the destination I'm aiming for, and an expectation that there's going to be that one moment. Mm. We often have the same expectation that, that actually it's just going to be ourselves mm. that get ourselves there. We'll do the large proportion of the work, but that book would not exist if I hadn't been blessed with meeting all those wonderful people who had shared different nuggets with me along the way that kind of allowed me to navigate through whatever I, I needed to get through and then come out the other side. Yeah. In your book, you mentioned around fear. And one of the, I mean, everybody always talks fear of failure, but I think one thing that's become very apparent and, and resonated with me was more this fear of security. And I, I, again, if you look back at everything, like we've just said, how life's changed last year and so for everybody, that I think you have to think about what security means for you and, and how much that's going to help you almost. So I don't, you know, the fear of security for me um, it was just interesting to reflect on. What was what was the kind of background to that thought process for yourself? Fear has held me back many, many times in, in my life, in my career, but also my personal life. And I, I looked around me and realised a lot of people around me had, had followed a similar path. 
mm. uh, in that they they went through education, they went on to education in some cases, they then arrived in an organization and they started to work their way up. And, you know, there's, there's value in that and lots of people do that. Um, I'm not so sure how much people enjoy it, but that, that path didn't, it didn't feel like the right one for me. It's the path that I followed early in my career because that's where the security was. That's where the safety was or what I told myself. There's, there's safety in being amongst the flock, mm. okay? Whether we like that or not, it's true. And I always sensed and had this thought in my head, what if, mm. what if, I broke the mold. What if I did something else? And then very quickly, I'd be sucked back into, yeah, but you can't do that because of this, this, and this. And, you know, I'm probably the, one of the first people in our family that's ever worked for themselves. And I still remember my mum saying, well, well, what are you going to do? How are you going to earn money? And I was like, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And she'd be like, well, what, people will pay you for that? Yeah, right, okay. Um, yeah, but will you get the same a regular income? Will we get holidays? And it's just this... The, the blueprint or the framework that I'd been given, mm. and I know why I was given, and we're all given a framework in some ways, was was the safe and secure one. And, you know, for me, it, it, it took an enormous amount of, of courage or valor, as they call it in the book, but also support uh, from people around me to make that leap of faith. And the first time I did it, I felt flat on my backside and it didn't work out and I failed miserably and my life changed and I went from having lots of security to having very very little Mm. Um, and I know how we attach ourselves to security and to give that up is a huge wrench uh, Mm. in many cases and it's not for everybody yeah I wouldn't say that Um, but there's a lot of people out there I know that aren't happy doing what they're doing and, you know, wonder about these things that they could do or worry about being stuck where they are. And, you know, you don't have to, you know, if you take stock and look at your circumstances and the people around you, you can see why you are where you are, but you can also see how you're able to start to break out from that. And for me, you know, I, I, I wouldn't have done things any other way because even though my first business failed and it did, um, there was so much learning that came from that, which I'd always been open to failure. And I talk about the fear of failure as well, as you've said, um, because I find it quite empowering. I'm not afraid of failure. Um, And I think those people that are afraid of failure don't actually do some things because they might fail. And for me, that's just a waste. I'd, I'd rather have a go and see what happens. And if if I fail, then then I fail. And I know some people will deliberately say to me, Jeff, I don't like that word. Um, I'd rather use something. Well, use something else. I'm comfortable with failure. And I've failed you know, hundreds of times and will continue to fail hundreds of times. But at the same time, I'm comfortable with who I am mm. and what I do. And I know it's not everybody's cup of tea. And that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's really nice to see that, that you, you suspend judgment. And, and it's hard for people to do. It is very hard. We do judge and we have ego. But you do have to have the awareness to, to let that go as well and, and to know what you're, you know, just maybe stick in your own lane a bit of what's right for you. 
opposed to sometimes worrying about what everybody else is doing. And I think like we touched on social media plays that role for us so much in terms of that pressure of what we think we have to do and, and actually just go on a bit of a journey. And like you say, failure for me, it doesn't hold me back. The security one resonated because I guess you have the facts that you've created something and you want to keep that going and you fear losing. So I think you fear losing things, don't you? Opposed to maybe then actually, well, what could I have? And being a bit more visionary with it. You're right. Seth Godin talks uh, a lot about this in the book called The Dip, um, where he talks about our attachment to what we've already got. And, yeah. you know, you can hear this in organisations all the time, every single day. You'll hear people say, well, I don't want to start again. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, what do you mean? You, you don't you, you don't start again. You know, if you've had 20 years in one organisation, yeah. you're not starting again. What you're doing is you're taking 20 years experience into that next challenge or that next opportunity. But the mindset of, I don't want to start again. I don't want to be a beginner. I don't want to be at the bottom. I don't want to have to work my way up. That's because of our emotional attachment to everything that's gone before. Now, in some situations, people can absolutely hate their job mm. and they'll, they'll, they'll moan about the Monday. Um, in fact, they'll start the weekend. They'll tell you in the midweek that it's nearly you know, weekend <laughs> eve and they'll yeah. tell you about their next holiday in 342 days. Yeah. Um, but they won't give it up yeah. because of how much time they have invested uh, in their life so far working for that organization which which is crazy really that's why it's always so interesting to connect and talk to people that uh, have like yourself you touched on the law of attraction there and and I, i'm a i love the law of attraction too um from i, I guess not i always say the woo-woo perspective of, of i think that is going to happen you know but it's, it does change your perspective on it's certainly what got me into coaching and everything was looking at the law of attraction and as well as i met a coach but I think it is really interesting to think about um, what that means to you and, and change your perspective on things. And when you have somebody that you talk to that gone through cancer, for an example, and I do this quite a lot of talk to people about, and I'll ask them, what, how do you see life differently? And since that, what's, what's that experience showed you? And it's a bit like when we use the example of, you know, way that, like you said, actually, that um, the kind of dress the party where you dress up in the, oh, yeah. back to the future yeah, yeah when we ask those types of questions like what would you tell your younger self or you know if you're your new rocking chair scenario you know and you're looking back on your life suddenly it's like the world changes and oh well I would have done this and I would have done that and it's like so why don't you why don't you take a bit more stock and realize the reality of where you're at and what you need to do and change apart from just thinking well, it's like you say, it's an attachment. Oh, I've got this and I've got that. Oh, it's countdown to my holidays. Yeah, I don't enjoy it, but I get lovely holidays. Yeah, but it's your whole life, isn't it? And then actually your holiday is probably quite, you know, your moment of de-stress for five days into the holiday. Then actually I have three days off where I really enjoy the holiday. And then, oh, guess what? Groundhog back to the same routine again. It's a cycle. The, those are the conversations that I enjoy most because the moment somebody gives you a little chink of light there, that there's something to explore, yeah. then, then I will pick up on that and explore. The holiday one's a fascinating one because it some is. people, believe it or not, if they go on a two-week holiday, they'll need a week to relax. Yeah, for but sure. They'll say, I, don't 
I don't really relax until the second week. Yeah. Okay? But some people that go on holiday, the moment they come back will say, oh, I feel like I need another holiday. And it's like, it's this never ending process and cycle around holiday. Yeah. Um, I, I have to kind of give credit to you know, the likes of Kirsty Mack, who came into my life uh, back in 2008, in terms of getting me to think from the rocking chair perspective. Mm. Um, because at that point I was open, I was ready to receive a different train of thought. And uh, I know I write about it in the book, in terms, I think it's um, Bronnie Ware or Bronnie Ware, it talks about the five regrets of, of those people that were dying. And, and there's a book been written about, there's a lot of research. Yeah, and a lot of it is around, you know, I wish I'd worked less or yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd wish I'd had more time for, you know, relationships. I'd wish I'd done things that felt, you know, more value to me or had more meaning to them. And I think when you, when you lose people that are important in your life, and I'm no different to anybody else um, in that I've lost people, it does make you take stock and, I suspect we take stock every time we lose somebody important in our lives, but then we may or may not do anything about it. And I just feel, I feel quite fortunate that I have been bold enough to make some different decisions at those times, because mm -hmm. in many ways it would, it would have been easy for me to have stayed at MS Money and carried on doing what I was doing with very little press, uh, pressure or very little stress. Um, but very much doing some of the things that we've already talked about in terms of holidays and not really for feeling fulfilled and those types of things. Talk a little bit around the six V's and how that's come about. I never had six V's until I walked into my publisher's office on March the 16th. That's the truth. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with uh, organisations, teams, individuals around vision of success and values yeah in fact that forms a lot of the, the programs that i do um, because i want people to think about their destination differently and i want them to understand their personal values because for me personal values are a game changer and mm -hmm. actually if you're having conversations with your people and you know about their values you also know how you can switch them on and switch them off uh, and keep them engaged and motivated and those types of things. So I had those in my head. And then the other four really just were born out of conversation and stories that I shared of, well, I helped this person with that. And actually, this seems to be a bit of a theme. And, and before we knew it, we, we had this framework. I always wanted a framework. Okay. And I come from a learning and development background. So yeah. I read a lot and I love reading. And I've read some fantastic books. And I fold the pages over on one of those. And sometimes I write on them as well, which is terrible, I know. Um, but I don't always do stuff with it unless there's something that I can attach it to. And so I wanted something that people could go back to. I wanted something that people could work through. And it's written in an order, but it doesn't have to be done in an order. So you start with your vision of success in terms of where you want to be. Um, but it's a little bit different to a goal or an objective in that it gets you to think about the journey along the way and some of the challenges that you'll come up against. We look at your values then in terms of what gets you out of bed. And then we come right back to, well, where are you now? What's your current view? So in relation, if we're gonna use the GROW model, 
you know, the goal and the reality. The reality is the view, what's happening right now, because strangely enough, some people don't put a great deal of emphasis on, on it, but what's happening now determines whether or not you can move to here. Mm-hmm. And we need to understand in the what's happening now and also the vehicle uh, which follows the view is we need to understand some of the things that you're doing each day. Because if you're already busy and you don't have any time to make change, yeah, it's real effort. But if you can see, and this is where within the vehicle, we're creating a very different type of plan, a very personal type of plan. If you can see when your time and energy is going mm-hmm. and then link it to your vision of success, then you can start to change some of the things. For me, it was about saying no, as I've said. Yeah. I would say yes to lots of other work, but that would just keep me here. It wouldn't let me get to where I wanted to get to. So I started saying no. But then I'd started to, you know, not do some of the things like exercise or meditation or stretching. And it was like, they're a, they're a must. They, they're mm-hmm. in my day. Because if I don't do them, I don't feel great. And I don't have any energy in the evening. Yeah. Um, and then what comes after the vehicle is, is valor. It's all about courage and stepping outside um, because we have to, you know, we can carry on where we are and that's okay. And that's why we call it the comfort zone. But if we want to move forward, we've got to understand what those little steps are before we can take some big ones. So I break it down for people and I get them to think about, well, what's scary, but you could do now. And I've done this myself on myself because mm-hmm. um, somebody flipped it onto me the other week, actually, which was great. Um, and they said, well, actually, what could you do now that's scary? And I said, oh, I'll sign up for the uh, Professional Speakers Association. Um, and then what could you do that's a bit scarier that would take a little bit of thought? Um, and then what's the big and bold thing that you can do? And the reality is all of these things are scary. But if we start to kind of almost break them down a little bit, they become less scary. And you know in your coaching capacity and also when you're managing and leading people, the moment people start to take one or two steps, they've yeah. got momentum. 100%. And they're already, they're already kind of looking that way yeah. rather than looking back. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then the, the final one is is what I call voice. And this this has this is twofold in that it's about your inner voice okay. and some of the things that your inner voice says to yourself. And I've got an inner voice as well. Steve Peters calls it the chimp. Yeah. <laughs> Jim Lawless calls it the tiger. Uh, there's a there's a whole host of uh, variations on it. Yeah. Um, but we have the inner voice, and and it's important to understand what it's telling us because, in part, we're designed to protect ourselves. Okay, yeah. so it's protecting us from perceived danger. Um, so it's important to understand that, but also reframe some of those things. Uh, so a little bit kind of affirmational in terms of getting you to reframe some of the things your inner voice says. But then the biggest thing for me that's made the biggest difference is how to create a personal board. And on your personal board are people that can support you and guide you and challenge you and nudge you and love you for the person you are. But they're very much there in the background when you need them to help you take the steps towards achieving your vision of success. And Mm. I talk about... Carl Jung's archetypes in this part of the book because Um, for me it's absolutely fascinating and when when you start to see the people in your life in terms of the different archetypes you can see what you might you might be missing you can see what you're already getting in terms of support but Mm -hmm. it might be that you're missing certain characters that can 
just question you or challenge you in a slightly different way. Or in some cases, just put an arm around you and say, look, you're doing great. Mm. Okay. Remember where you were. This is where you are now. You're doing great. So that's how the six piece came about. And you know, I'm glad that you said it's practical. And and that was how I designed it. That's what I'd hoped for, actually, when yeah. I put that together. Yeah, no, it is not. I guess I, I see that because I've come from a coaching perspective myself and loads of in that that I've got going through my mind. I think very much around even like we were playing earlier, that example of Simon Sneak where it's saying the two differences in terms of the happy people versus and their environment's rubbish. But you do, you know, the people around you play a massive part in the environment. It isn't just aesthetics of what you see in your surroundings. It's more than that. And, and that's probably been one of the biggest steps I had to take many years ago when I first got into coaching in 2015 was work out who was in my world and those social connections. And, and that's been a big thing that's come from last year. I did um, a course on neuroscience in March and it was all around looking at the six, what creates like six habits of a healthy mind. And one of those was social connections. And, and you know, so it's very close to me to think about, again, like the values is, is who's in my world. And, and like I said, the networking part, how does that work both ways? And if people aren't of my mindset perspective or the way I want to be in life, and to, I guess be, you know, be in the moment, then they're probably not right for me. And that's that's how I then connect with the right people. It's not about disconnecting with them or no, they're not right for me. There's no, you know, I don't get anything from them, but it is around that awareness that what is it I want to be and who do I want in my world that's really going to help me, but I can help them as well. And it's, it's such a big part is this connections. It is. And again, Kirsty Mack brought to my attention that you know, you meet people for a reason, a season yeah. or a lifetime. And, and I do, I do firmly believe that. Um, and it might be that somebody comes into your life for a reason mm. and they prompt you to do something or they provoke a new thought and then off they go and you never see yeah. them again. And, that, yeah. and that happens. Yeah. Um, it might be that, you know, people, and I, I've experienced this, are in your life for a season and they're there and they're on that part of the journey. They're with you, they're supporting you, they're encouraging you. You might be collaborating with them that you might be supporting them but then something happens in their life or your life and you go in different directions that's cool that happens yeah but then there'll be probably a small group of people that are there throughout um, your entire life because you know they love you for who you are they don't they don't kind of judge you as such mm. uh, but they're there if you need them and and that's okay all of those people are okay i yeah. think sometimes because we're wired for connection we get attached to certain human beings and you know if they have a different intention or a different energy about them um, that can actually bring us down and stop us in our track so mm. I think it's important to be aware of the people that are within your circle or the people that are on your personal board mm. um, and the energy that they bring the networking one is a classic because if somebody is not bringing energy but looking to suck the energy out of you, then, then that's very one way. And mm. It's not about getting something out of the other person. It's just about being mindful of the fact that yeah. that person's not giving anything back. And if they're not giving any energy back, then, then that is a one-way street and that's not a great place to be. Mm. So I always kind of wrap things up and end with my quick-fire questions, um, just because it's really interesting to see the different um, views and, and answers from people. So the, the one I always start off with is, what does success mean to you? 
I love this question and I've listened to it many times on your pod. Um, success for me is about doing what I want to do in the way that I do it. And it's, yeah. it's not about a, a tick in the box or a certificate or a gold star or anything like that. It's purely about doing what I want to do in the way that I do it. And mm-hmm. I enjoy a lot of that. Not all the time, but, but that's what I get to enjoy most of the time. Yeah. And what would you tell your younger self, Jeff? This is a good question as well, because um, it gets you thinking about your younger self. If it's all right with you, I'm going to flip it the other way. Um, Mm. And I'm going to answer it from the point of view that what would my younger self tell me now? Yeah. Um, Because I think, and the reason I, I, I say that is, is I think we lose some of that that kind of youthfulness and that naivety and that energy and creativity so my younger self would say to me today keep being bold keep speaking up and keep having fun yeah absolutely love that what is one thing people can do to live a happier life understand their personal values because yeah. the likelihood is the conversations that they're having with their loved ones after work, outside of work, will always come down to values. And if they can understand their personal values, then they can decide what they want to do in terms of changing something in their life. Yeah, I think people really underestimate values. I think they think it's something, oh, that's not for me. Or, yeah, I think it's, it's key and it underpins probably every decision I make in everything that I do is my values. Um, and, and that we talk about time and energy, for sure, um, goes back to, I'll think about, well, what do I value here? And I had to really challenge that a few years ago. I was obsessed with getting to fitness shoots and all of that. And I completely sacrificed any family things. Uh, and I, I, I won't do that now at all. I think you're right. Values shape all our decisions, but most of us aren't consciously aware of that. Um, if if you are prepared to do that, and there's an exercise I use in the book, and I use it with all the leadership groups that I, that I train, um, if you're prepared to do that exercise, it's there in front of you then, and there's no excuses. And it, 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 it makes it very difficult then to go against your values. And you can see when people's values are being challenged. Mm. For me, it is a game changer. What can people do then to live a more purposeful life and have more meaning? I think if people want to live a more purposeful life with more meaning, then at some point they're going to have to step away from the crowd. They're going to have to step away from the masses because um, each of us has something within us that that is driving us, that's bigger than us. And I think in order to to fulfil that or to work towards that, we, we have to step away from... In, in lots of cases from, from the stuff that we're doing right now. And, and if we do, yes, it will be rewarding. It will be, it will provide richness in, into your life. It will be scary. It might be lonely at times, but, but it will be hugely fulfilling. Um, yeah. And so for me, it, it, it is about stepping away from, from the crowd and, and the masses. And that won't be for everybody. So mm. you know, people listening, don't, don't feel compelled to, to have to do that or, you know, almost feel well. I, I couldn't do that. Or that's that's cool. But I think if people do want to live 
a more fulfilling, meaningful, purposeful life, then we have to step away from, from the crowd. So it's just so fun. I'm laughing because I was listening to a podcast yesterday and it was all about it's Tim Grover and Lewis Howes. And I love Tim Grover. Um, he's uh, coached people like Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, phenomenal. And um, he kept saying, do something, you know, it has to be bigger than yourself. And then you've just said it. And this is what I love is that you have to notice what you notice and that these things come through. And then what do they mean to you? Not tell you, I'm not going to get hooked on that, but it's actually, well, why does that keep coming into my world? Mm. What does it mean to me bigger than myself? It's really interesting. It, it, it sounds like it's a sign and it yeah. sounds like love it's it. very much something to, to sit with and to explore and to give yourself the time. Yeah, to, to, to I, wrote, I wrote loads of stuff down all the time I always say to people I'm not like not distracted I'm just I've suddenly got a thought and I have to get it down so um, finally what do you want to be known for? Wow that is um, that means a little bit of thought what do I want to be known for? Hmm. Two things really and it comes back to two of my top five values I would love to be known as or known for somebody that made a difference and somebody that challenged the norm. Yeah. And I, I set out each day with the intention of doing those things. I, I don't, I'm not always successful. I don't always achieve that. But if when my time is up, people reflect and say, he challenged things and he made a difference, then yeah, that would that will be something that that I've consciously set out to do. So I'd be happy with that. Mm. And I'm going to leave this with this that I um, I love your book. So thank you so much, Lindsay. I really appreciate that and value it um, and your time for today. They it was interesting uh, when I was flicking through again, and that quote landed with me of the world is changed by your example, not by your opinion. And what's interesting is that. I think when we first connected a long time ago, I think it might be Instagram or LinkedIn, and uh, I saw that on something you did, and I wrote it down because I know you write lots of deals with lovely cards, don't you? And I wrote it down on a card as well, and I kept it with me, and then I put it in my greatness planner that I have that I use every day, and and yeah, and then it just came about again. So again, it's that noticing, isn't it? The signs, but it is absolutely key that quote. I love it that the world is changed by your example, not your opinion. Love it. Natalie, thank you so much for inviting me along to to have a chat with you. Um, you're doing some fantastic stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's keep, really inspirational. Keep doing what you're doing. It's got me thinking. So where can people find and connect with you? Um, the easiest place to find and connect with me is through social media, um, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter. Yeah. Um, if you want to check out more about the book, then have a look at the website, Stuck Now What?, dot yeah. com and you can download chapter one for free and yeah. there's also a workbook that goes alongside the book yes. uh, which you can download for free so even if you haven't bought the book you can see the exercises there which refer to um, the 6v framework so uh, yeah stuck now what.com amazing thank you you're welcome thank you for having me thank you so much jeff and of course a huge thank you to you for listening today if you are looking to transform and build your coaching business, then I would love to share how my new programs in Infinite Greatness can help you leverage your business to make more money, make an impact and have more freedom. 
Let's see if or how I can help you right now. As always, go take action, make an impact and have a great day.